I have so many other interests. Plus, as a storyteller, sometimes it's good to exercise other muscles. Sometimes it's good to um, to do a little bit of cross-training. Baseball players play a game, but they spend a lot of time in the batting cage, and that's just one aspect of their discipline, right? Welcome to Deviate with Rolf Potts. Today's episode is a meta discussion of sorts about maintaining creative fitness in life. And how I started this podcast four years ago is a kind of intellectual sketch pad to explore ideas that might enhance my broader writing career. This episode is remixed from an episode of the Three Clips podcast hosted by Jay Akunzo and sponsored by Castos, which is the podcasting service I use to publish Deviate. Together, Jay and I talk about how Deviate serves my creative career and how, despite its name, it usually doesn't deviate in the way I originally expected it to. We talk about travel versus non-travel episodes of Deviate and why I choose to produce episodes on a wide range of sometimes counterintuitive topics. Specifically, Jay asks questions and plays clips about episode 155 of my podcast, which depicted a 22-mile walk my wife Kiki and I took out of our own back door here in Kansas. This episode was recorded in the field and didn't involve a lot of planning, so we talk about getting off the beaten path creatively, even as we tried to get off the beaten path as we traveled. We talk about how walking inspired us to discuss spiritual themes as well as practical ones. We talk about what I have planned for the podcast in coming months and how it will augment a new book I have coming out next year. I start by playing the intro segment at the top of Jay's own Three Clips podcast. Here it is. Today, we dive into some experimental audio from a show that has been doing it for a little while now and a writer who's been doing it for even longer. And one of the things I'm fascinated by whenever I talk to anybody, but certainly in this episode, I think it's going to feature heavily, is when we do something serialized or episodic, when our work is done consistently, how do we refresh the work? I think that's important both for us as creators because we don't want to lose interest and we want to pursue interestingness even if it's a little bit off the beaten path from what we usually create. In other words, we might deviate from the set path that we've chosen for our show. So we don't want to lose interest. That's why we need to refresh the work. But also, we want our audiences to continue to love the show and share it and make an impact with what we create. So it's not just for us, it's also for them. And in both cases, we can't just do the same thing over and over and over again. It grows stale. So I think stagnation is the enemy. And in this episode, we have a great conversation about a lot of things, but central to our conversation is about how to do something that's a little bit off the beaten path. I want to know how to do the things you do. A thing, a two, a three that only comes from you. What strikes me as uh, almost necessary or part and parcel of telling travel stories is visuals, imagery, video, photography, uh, because I think people want to know what does it look like there? As you've gotten deeper into the audio medium, what have you discovered are the ways you can kind of add back what's lost when it's audio only uh, or get your guest to do that to help people establish a sense of place when they can't actually see anything? How do you do that through your show? I think it's just trying to be specific. You know, it's through being specific that we can strike universal chords. Audio is a surprisingly visual medium. You know, when people listen, they they sort of imagine their own images in their head. 
like if I'm talking to a travel expert, for example, I talked to Manisha Rajesh about train travel and I just jumped into a lot of things like, well, what is it like inside of a Russian train car versus one that's in China or Thailand? And then there's an extent to which I, I, I'd like to think the, I, the viewers can smell that, right? You know, so she's talking about what it's like to eat on a Chinese train car, which the food is so much better in China than Russia. The way she talked about that made my mouth water. Mainly, possibly because I've been on Chinese trains, but also because um, she did a great job of evoking this place. And I think different guests will have different talents when it comes to that sort of thing. Uh, and so some challenges come in trying to have your guest be specific. Now, as I understand it, the show is a, a bit of a passion project for you. It's a, it's a labor of love. And you know, to me, that's part of a creator's practice where, you know, you're kind of, I, I very much believe in emotional fitness, physical fitness, and also creative fitness where, you know, we're doing things that feel a little bit different or stretch us one way, or they just require us to show up and ship, even if we don't feel like it. Um, how do you think about where your podcast fits in, you know, what's become a, a very large and seemingly successful body of work? Well, it's, you know, I'll probably always be the travel guy. I wrote uh, my book, Vagabonding, uh, is, has been through dozens and dozens of printings, what everybody loves to talk about. Um, but I have so many other interests. Plus, as a storyteller, sometimes it's good to exercise other muscles. Sometimes it's good to, um, to do a little bit of cross-training. You know, you can, you can uh, baseball players play a game, but they spend a lot of time in the batting cage, and that's just one aspect of their discipline, right? So... I found about five or six years ago that I was listening to so many podcasts, it was so much a part of my creative consumption, that it seemed weird not to join the conversation. I just felt like maybe I had some things to say, but I didn't want to just, as a mid-career guy, I didn't want to augment my travel writing career. Certainly travel is something I think about all the time, but I wanted the freedom to go off on tangents, in part because that's the best part of, of travel is you go thinking you're going to do one thing and then pretty soon you're on the other side of the world and you're playing volleyball with a bunch of kids in Cambodia and they're just destroying you even though you're a foot taller than all of them, right? And that's what's so fun about travel. And so in podcasting, I called my podcast Deviate um, so that I could deviate from the obvious things to talk about either from episode to episode or within an episode and sort of give myself the pretext to get lost because as travelers, uh, new travelers think, well, I don't want to get lost and experienced travelers think, God, I've had some of my best experiences when I got lost and then became found again. So deviation is all about um, getting lost thematically and seeing what sorts of wonderful things I can discover. So we're going to dive into the clips and start to dissect the, the tiny things that make your show so great. Um, we're going to pull all three of our clips today from the same episode of Deviate, which is called Long Distance Hiking at Home, The Art of Journeying Out of Your Own Back Door. So Rolf, uh, correct me if any of these details are wrong, but I just want to paint a picture for our, the listener about what we're about to hear, the, sort of the premise of this specific episode. Uh, so you live in a small town in Kansas, and one day in the middle of winter last year, you and your wife, uh, or sorry, your fiance, Kiki, walked out the door and just kept walking for 22 miles. Uh, and then you spent a, a night at an Airbnb. And the next day, you started recording this episode while the two of you were sitting outdoors at a cafe. And you start out talking about the pace of your walk the day before. And then uh, you talk about how your body started to hurt. And the last hour was pretty painful. Um, but pretty soon, you start to get pretty philosophical about this long distance walking thing and talk about how this journey affected you emotionally. And it's right there that we wanted to pick up the audio. So let's take a listen. 
I've talked on this podcast before about achievement versus appreciation. You know, that often we spend the first half of our life focused on achievement, and then ideally we learn appreciation later in life, or maybe both at the same time. I think one thing about walking a long distance is that you have achievement, you have, well, we made it. But then appreciation is so much sharper. Uh, just like, again, those three Boulevard Pale Ales I had, that's a good brewery in Kansas City, God, that, those were so good mm -hmm. in a way that if I just randomly ended my workday and had a Boulevard Pale Ale, it would have been fine, but it, I wouldn't have celebrated it. No. And another thing, too, is um, as we were walking, one fun thing, in Kansas, there's not really mountains, but we had um, different points of reference. And one was Coronado Heights and this a little ridge of hills, which are not very common in Kansas. And we sort of were able to see them the entire seven hours of our walk, mm -hmm. that we were sort of walking around them. But then once we got close to Lindsberg, we saw the grain elevator. Mm -hmm. And it's one thing to drive by, and my audience might not know, a grain elevator is just a, this giant concrete structure that you see in all Kansas towns. They're used on railroad tracks. It's where grain is stored and then put on the trains to be to taken to Chicago or wherever to make bread. Um, I've seen a thousand grain elevators in Kansas before. I've never, they never look so beautiful as when I came into town because there's something about seeing the grain elevator three hours away and you're walking and you're in pain. And then the sun had set by the time we were in town yesterday. But it cast a kind of beautiful orange glow on it. But yeah, and, and it was lit by whatever ambient light is here. And it, was, it made me realize that as an object, this um, grain elevator, which is probably four or five stories high compared to an urban building, um, is beautiful, like just as a design object, it was beautiful. And it was, it was one of those weird things where I was sort of seeing grain elevators for the first time. I realized that. What, what are you noticing when you hear that played back to you about that moment? Well, I, I'm married now, so I'm thinking, oh, I'm talking a lot, aren't I, right? So um, all, you know, my wife uh, spoke a lot. My now wife uh, spoke a lot in that episode and, and very intelligently. Um, actually, what I was thinking about now is that it, it's, it's sort of approximates a drug experience, you know, like um, not that drugs are really my hobby, but like sort of um, psilocybin mushrooms sort of compels you sometimes to just see things in their eternal form. Uh, and suddenly the epiphany of that kind of experience is just how beautiful your chair is, right? Or how, uh, how awesome a, a tree is. Actually, there's a spiritual aspect to this too. I mean, you, you read Thich Nhat Hanh and he's all about the, the Buddhist uh, uh, monk and philosopher from Vietnam. He's, he talks so much about just sort of trying to embrace the present moment, the mindfulness that comes with the present moment. And so in a way, I was talking about something quotidian, which is a grain elevator, which people who don't live in, in an agricultural state might not even know what that is. But in a way, I was seeing it in its eternal form and sort of that as, as it's a um, platonic ideal, like this is the eternal grain elevator, not because I was on drugs, <laughs> but because I had walked 22 miles to see that thing. And that, that suddenly the pain and the effort and the slowness and non-distraction of that experience made this seem like an epiphany. I did an episode, I host another show called Unthinkable, which is a narrative show. And so there's a lot more like experimenting. It's not, it's less segmented in three clips. And I remember one of my early episodes, I, I wanted to do something like what you did in this episode, which is just take the microphone outside and, and capture what I captured and, you know, let things be as they were. And then if I had something good, great, I could edit it together later. And one of the things I remember trying was I was going to walk to a coffee shop, but I was going to do so like on a different side of the street than I would routinely walk. And I remember like, I just started noticing things. And part of it was I had a microphone in my hand, of course, I was describing stuff, but 
I just started noticing things that I hadn't noticed before. And it kind of made me realize, which, you know, I'm I'm the millionth person to realize this perhaps, but like, that's to me why travel is so inspiring for me creatively. It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm looking at, you know, the Pantheon, although maybe, but everything to do with the fact that like, I'm forced to be mindful because I'm in an unfamiliar place. Like I've been broken from my mindless routine and, and slog of whatever I do every day. And so I'm just paying attention more. And so like, you're in the moment. Um, and to me, I, I loved that beautiful, but very simple realization then. And uh, it's so elusive to bring back. And it felt, it felt like you found it in that moment. And yeah, it can kind of feel like a, maybe it'd be drug induced perhaps, but it wasn't. I teach a travel writing class in Paris every summer. And one of my exercises for my journal class is to have the students go outside and walk around with their journal. Because basically, it's one thing to sit down and try to create a story or a podcast at your desk. But your brain just simply works differently when you're uh, going for walks. Like I haven't done that many walking podcasts. I've done over 150 episodes. And and uh, this is the only all walking episode. But how fun. I mean, and we really, we stumbled into some surprises in this episode, including what ended up being sort of uh, an Easter egg at the very end about just being silent, that we were silent for a longer period. And I sort of apologized to my now wife, Kiki, and, and she said, no, that's, that's good. I think, it, I think one thing that walking allows two people to be together in a way that doesn't compel conversation. And so I think sometimes we forget about the role of silence in human interaction or even in narrative or in music, that sometimes um, the, the, the silence plays a role in a song, for example, and the effectiveness of that song. So that was one thing I hadn't planned on talking about, but just the idea that silence can be a good thing is something that came out of that mix of walking and thinking at the same time. Uh, I, I, that hits home for me as someone who who does some narrative episodes, and you know, I, a big part of my business is public speaking. And when I'm, I know I'm on. It's when I've been able to use silence on the stage mm. instead of stuff every moment full of of words and motions. And you know, like I am a very energetic person. And and actually, like one of the things I was hoping to ask you, and you're kind of starting to hint at, was about how you know, driving home from dropping my daughter at daycare this morning, I was over caffeinated, I was stressed out about a bunch of projects, you know, I was doing the classic, like driven individual overthinking work, like rushing to get to the next thing. And I found the episode in that moment, I listened to it a couple times, I found it in that moment, hard to listen to, because mm. it wasn't so like beating me over the head with like, here's the message, here's the story, it's the three act story structure, like, you know, you're anticipating some tension and the resolution of the tension. It was just like lots of little moments and statements and insights. And, you know, you know, maybe you could categorize a few vignettes. Like if you, if you know the episode that intimately in the edit, you're like, maybe there are sections in your mind. But to me, it was like, the more important thing was I just pay attention to what you guys were experiencing and talking about. And I, I, I couldn't get there because I was so frenetic this morning. Hmm. Um, but I felt like it's good medicine to have that kind of content in the world because a lot of it is not that way. Um, did you have an intention behind this episode and what it would do for listeners? Because it's not the typical interview that you, you know, that forms the basis for your show, I guess. Yeah, that's true. And often my interviews have an outline. I sort of knew where we were going with this, but I didn't walk with an outline. Um, and so in a way, the interview reflected the journey itself or a good journey. You know, it sort of meanders sometimes. You know, it sometimes a very programmed travel itinerary is less interesting than something that meanders a little bit. And one fun moment in this is that Kiki, my now wife, uh, had to go to the bathroom. And when you're walking, you don't have a choice. You know, when you're walking in the country, 
uh, be it in uh, in the grasslands of Kansas or the Alps, if you have to pee, you have to go in the trees and pee. And so we sort of, I, I didn't have a live uh, listen in on while she peed, but I sort of cut away from that. But I didn't edit it out of the episode because that lent itself to a really interesting conversation about how when you're in your body, you're not you know, you're sort of beholden to these, these uh, to, again, to use the word quotidian, these quotidian desires that are actually a part of every day. And so, um, yeah, I, this ended up being a not very edited episode, maybe because it wasn't as formally structured as some can be. I went back and looked at it. I, I, I had three cuts, three short cuts, I think, of just meanderings or misstatements. And then I cut up about 17 minutes out of it, and that was it. Other than that, it was pretty much a free-flowing conversation. Anyone who's ever listened to me on a microphone basically has a bingo card out and they're waiting for me to say the name Anthony Bourdain. Right. Because he's my storytelling hero. And the moments where that show was quiet and uh, or, or uncomfortable or messy or not like incredibly polished and glossy in the edits, like those are the things that really stick with me, you know, because they, they bridge gaps between things that were. Um, and so to me, in my like onslaught of podcast episodes I'm listening to, this one really stood out because it felt cleansing. It felt like a deep breath, whereas so many podcasts feel like I'm sort of holding my breath while I listen, if that makes sense. Well, you, you, you sidestep formula. I mean, I did an experiment once where I watched the Travel Channel every waking day for a week, and it was torture except for Anthony Bourdain's show because he is not afraid to push back against formulas. And I'm not going to knock the people who sort of want to optimize their week, and maybe they are listening to that business podcast or that sports podcast, and they, they want their bullet points. They want their information. But I think I really earned respect for Anthony Bourdain when I did that because he was so refreshing. He would push back against what you're supposed to say, and and he he could take a 30-minute episode into 10 different directions simply by saying, yeah, this is what you normally see on a show like this, but this is what I'm going to do. Um, and there's just so many, so many moments of honesty um, and, and insight that comes from that. And not that Bourdain was my template here, but because I know that Kiki is very smart, especially when it comes to walking, and we have good chemistry, I should hope so, because we eventually got married, um, I, I knew that I didn't need to front load a structure on this. I suspected that we would get a good episode. Um, what surprised me is how little I edited it out, because oftentimes on more formal interviews, I will edit things out, but it felt like these digressions, that, you know, the, the pee break, not quite getting around to talking about Larry the dog, you know, that almost by accident, just sort of our chemistry lended to an interesting narrative texture. A buddy of mine, uh, I got to, speaking of Bourdain, I got to do a, a travel-like show. It was about businesses, but I got to go out in the field and, you know, with a lean crew and shoot and run and gun and, you know, have him and his storytelling style in my head um, before the pandemic. And then, of course, the pandemic killed anything, any project like that. But I got to do three episodes. And uh, while I was talking to the lead, the lead producer on the show, we liked to philosophize about the creative craft. And uh, we were talking about how inevitably everything we're doing is derivative of reality. Like to, to squeeze someone's lifetime into your runtime, you're making trade-offs. It's an echo. It's derivative. You're trying to approximate something, but it's not going to be exactly reality. And, you know, we'd had a couple beers at this point and I was like, you know how you can tell like a documentary is actually not true to reality? And he's like, how? And I was like, they never pee. Huh. <laughs> huh. So in some ways, it's like, I really appreciated in that moment that you kind of, yeah, you didn't record it, but you didn't really like cut out a huge chunk there. So <laughs> I Damn. don't know. 
The next clip is an example of this kind of take your time storytelling that really worked in the episode. And then I think in the medium at large. Um, so the next clip comes a little bit later in the episode. And at this point, you and Kiki are walking and recording because the journey's not over, but you're still discussing the day before. So the hike before uh, the current hike, which we're hearing you trudge through. And you've both alluded to Larry the dog as a character in the day's events. And uh, in the clip, you finally get around to telling the story of Larry. And uh, we cut out a small section in the middle just for time, but people are going to get the gist of it in this clip. So let's go to the tape. Anyway, we've built up Larry the dog so much. Okay, so talk about Larry. So disappointed. Well, this was a strangely central part to the days. Like right. our, there was before Larry and after well, Larry. Well, I think of the hike. he look like all things on long walks. I think you can turn it into some sort of a metaphor or a symbol. And Larry the dog comes bounding out of this house on the corner of Lapsley and whatever it was, Woodard. Describe him. He was. He was old, you could tell from his kind of graying muzzle. He had this lolling tongue that kind of <laughs> rolled out of his mouth. He, his personality he was, was, he was giant. Um, and we can get to the specific descriptor of him later. Um, but he was so affable. And it was just like he made two new friends. And it was, he, he was set set for life it seemed like so we started walking away from his home and he accompanied us and you kind of think okay he's going to turn around any moment and he lived on a farm like a farmstead yeah. sort and of we, in the middle of nowhere we went by this he accompanied us by this absolutely beautiful horse farm and so we got to the end of the section which was mile and then we turned south and he kept going and i i, I was like go home larry go home but that time i think we had a different name for him <laughs> He went, he went through so many different iterations. Right, his name, just so everyone knows, his name is not actually Larry. No. He decided his name was Larry. In honor of Larry, of Larry Lapsley. Lapsley. Um, but then there was, we got to another kind of little farm area, and what I thought was a dead cat in the road was actually a dead rabbit. And Larry just thought that was great, so he picked <laughs> it up, and he, like, had it in his mouth. And was so proud of it we were just not impressed so finally he found a, a place on the side of the road and dug a hole and put it in there and then he came up to you and started licking you with his dead rabbit tongue <laughs> well, then uh i i mean i just i just love that moment i saw you lighting up i have the privilege of being able to see you on camera here uh what was going through your mind what were you noticing about that section well, one thing as a guy who post-produces these sorts of things, I think initially I was worried, do we talk about Larry too much? Do we tease Larry too much? Because we keep trying to talk about Larry and then we talk about some other things. You know, we talk about Lapsley Road and who Larry Lapsley was, a historical figure. But when it, when it came out, most of my listener email mentioned Larry somehow. They, they just liked the idea. Again, we're talking about creating images that somehow listeners, at least the ones I heard from, they really had, maybe it was the enthusiasm in our voices, but they had a real sense for his personality. It's so funny how, you know, there's so many story structures and techniques and, of course, great storytellers that, you know, we're trying to make sense of or maybe we admire or, you know, some people disassociate from their storytelling heroes. They're like, oh, I could never. And then there's other folks uh, like me where your synapses don't fire correctly in your brain and you see your storytelling heroes and go, I want to do that. But mm -hmm. either way, like we're surrounded by just a lot of a lot of a lot when it comes to this big word of story. And I feel like it's 
descriptions with a sense of drama? And can you find some universal insights through that? And here it kind of, it had a lot of that. It was, you know, you'd teased it, you'd mentioned it. And finally, here we are arriving at this moment where it's like, so we should probably talk about Larry the dog because you had teased it a little bit, you know, unintentionally. It wasn't like you'll never believe coming up after the break, but you'd mentioned right. it enough and hinted at it, right? So there was a little bit of sense of, of drama and the way you describe it, there are moments in that where it's a little bit more dramatic than the average description of something. It wasn't flat, in other words. And, you know, the whole episode, you're constantly kind of going to these, these taking these tangents to the universal, as you hinted at, at the very top of this episode. Um, and so, but one of the things I noted was your ability to kind of lightly press on those ideas. Like when Kiki was telling the story, you would sort of jump in or nudge her to be like, well, and then this happened or, and then this detail. And she'd go, oh yeah, and, and kind of describe it further and the moment would get richer. Um, so I guess my question is, was that intentional? Or do you just have like this intuitive sense that like you're, tr- you're jumping in to just round out the story? Because that's so many people just don't seem compelled to do that. They just let things go as they may and move on. Well, one thing I tell my students in writing classes is don't be afraid to understand that story is one of the basic building blocks of how we communicate. And so I say, because oftentimes nonfiction writers will be just sort of chronological to the point of irritation. And so it's like if you go to a bar and you see a giant fist fight in the bar, you don't start by talking about what you had for breakfast and how you got to the bar. You know, you start by saying, I saw a fight, and then you jump in with details. So I think one thing about this aspect of the story, and in a way, Larry becomes a character. Like uh, Kiki and I are together doing a character sketch of this very personality-rich dog. And so it's almost like we're in the bar and we're trying, we're sort of competing to tell what's awesome about the story. And so there's some craft involved, but there's also excitement that we, we just sort of loved this experience with Larry the dog. And I think listeners loved it too, because there's an interesting thing that comes on later. I was talking about how bad my legs hurt that first day. And then towards the end of the hike, um, Kiki sort of talks about a more emotional story from her own life when her grandmother couldn't walk anymore, when, when, when it was just how difficult it was. And so we, we sort of get almost theological about how, you know, the time we have is now. You can't put things off because there will, will be a time when you're too old to walk comfortably. Yet people... <laughs> People may have been moved by that section of the podcast, but they loved talking about Larry the dog. When I got emails on that episode, I think that that sometimes you bury, you know, the poignant stuff in in a greater, you know, foam of narrative. If I'm going to mix metaphors a little bit, and so people are charmed by Larry the dog, and he sort of keeps things narratively grounded as we bring in these more philosophical or existential observations. When you hear a show like yours. Uh, especially a moment, you know, like, like throughout these episodes or this episode, all the moments that um, you and your wife share, it's really tempting for someone who's maybe starting out to think, oh, it's, it's unplanned. It's impromptu. It's casual. You know, there is no craft. I can just wing it. All I need is a, a live microphone. And so people start to gravitate towards the technical questions, like what microphone should I use? How do I promote my show? Those kinds of things. Um, Cause they feel like, well, if I do an interview show, that's easy. Or if I do a chat cast, or if I have someone who's a friend or a spouse, uh, and we go for a walk. It, it, it just, that part comes naturally. Um, well, what would you say to someone like that? Because your show does strike me as one that people might assume that about. Well, it, it just makes me think of George Orwell and and how people would marvel at how easy his writing seemed. His, his writing was so unpretentious and conversational. And he's like, guys, you know, that is the result of hours and hours of work. That That Orwell's smooth prose was the result of the tortured process of writing. And so I think 
I mean, it's my wife is an actor, and so oftentimes young people will say, "How hard can it be to act? You just you just say things, right? You know." Well, just like for the actor's discipline, it's the result of so much craft and training. And and she went to a, a classic British um, drama school in London to Guildhall. And you don't just practice delivering your lines. You practice movement. You spend weeks learning how to move your body on stage. Um, you learn about masks and then what to do when you don't have a mask on your face. And so the craft of something like acting is something that is way above my pay grade. She could speak to that. I couldn't. But people assume that acting is just going in front of a camera and just sort of doing things, right? Well, podcasting is a similar way. You might have a conversation with someone you like, but does somebody really want to eavesdrop on your conversation with your buddy? And so this even happens in other podcasts where I'm with someone with whom I have a rapport, like Ari Shafir, the comedian, um, that I know that we're going to have a good time talking about things, but... um, a part of my brain is always going to be, be thinking, well, what is the topic we're talking about and what is the topic we're going to talk about next? Um, are you familiar with uh, Script Notes? Uh, it's a screenwriting podcast by John August and Craig Mazin. Uh, Craig always calls John Segway Man because jo- John will always segue to keep things on point. You know, Craig is funnier than John, but John is, is basically the one who will come back in and say, well, wait a second, this is what this episode is about. Uh, there's great craft, podcasting craft in the Script Notes podcast. Um, and so maybe one lesson that I took from that is just the idea that somebody has to be Segway Man. You know, even if you have a friend that you think this will make a great podcast, somebody has to be Segway Man to bring the conversation back to what, to what the episode is about. Otherwise, you know, well, you could just listen to any friend babble. But if you listen to two smart friends talking about tennis, you know, or making wine or investing in the stock market, well, then then if it's on topic and it has chemistry, then that's podcast gold. You start to have this uh, vision where when you realize that kind of thing, you see it elsewhere and it's everywhere. Like I came mm. out of uh, sports media. I wanted to be a sports journalist in college. I never quite broke in professionally, but I had a lot of internships. And, you know, you learn these people who have casual banter on radio shows, they have set roles. And sometimes it's obvious, you know, that the the person who's the anchor and the journalist on the desk on the TV show next to the former athlete who's clearly mm. the analyst, right? Like those are obvious roles. But in all these great podcasts that I've had the privilege of profiling on this show, when there are multiple voices, or even if it's the host and the guest, there are these wheels turning and delineated roles. Um, and I think when we start out, maybe those have to be more explicit because there's not the muscle memory. There's not the intuition yet. There's not the reps put in. It has to be more delineated. But that's exactly where people don't want to be incredibly craft-driven. They're like, we should start a podcast. And the friend goes, we should totally start a podcast. And then 12 episodes in, they realize, oh my God, this is a little bit harder than we thought it was. Well, there's a way to cheat too. And it popped into my head when you mentioned sports podcasts, because it's a ringer podcast with Bill Simmons called The Rewatchables. It's not even about sports, it's about movies. But they have several categories that they go through in every episode. And so in a way, Bill Simmons in that podcast doesn't need to be Segway Man, because when a certain you know, uh, deviation of the conversation winds down, he's here, well, let's do the categories. You know, what, what was, and I forget exactly which categories there are, but, you know, like basically most rewatchable, most rewatchable scenes, best lines, you know, which character has the heat check, which minor actor is the strongest in this movie. And 
Not only does that keep the conversation focused in a podcast like this, but as a listener to that podcast, I look forward to the categories. It yes. builds rapport, right? It builds community around the show because you're in on the joke. Yeah, and then it, and it standardizes things. And, and so really for beginning podcasters, that could be a great thing. Again, you don't want to fall flat. You want to find the right categories. But if you're not very good at being Segway Man, maybe having five things that you want to touch on with every guest, that's a great, that's a great strategy to have. The Bill Simmons type show that you referenced um, is about as extreme an example apart from what the next clip represents in your show because it's not segmented. It's not this like sort of joking, jocular type thing. Um, the final clip is from the very end of the episode after the credits, hmm. um, also recorded on the long distance walk. And uh, I just kind of want to let this clip speak for itself. Let's, let's play it. He's golden. Is it a red-tailed hawk? I don't know. Oh, wow. God, wouldn't that be fun? To be able to ride the currents like that? Oh, wait! There's a shoe! We talked about wearing all the things, only the things that we find on the road. The belt, those boots. There's a Nike shoe! Yeah, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this, this is actually one of our slap-happy jokes from yesterday. When we found a belt and, like, an oversized baseball hat in the ditch, somewhere in the middle of nowhere, it's the idea of starting out the hike in a Speedo and then just, like, slowly putting the things on that you find in the ditch. So, you know what's funny is I was listening to that, and I was like, actually, wait, there is some sort of something evocative of the Bill Simmons segmented show. Because one, one of your segments was, like, implicitly st stuff we find along the way that we might wear. Um, uh -huh. But that, so that, like I said, that was after the credits. Why put that moment there? Well, it was an Easter egg type thing. I, I think um, basically we had, I think it was out of the 17 minutes that I cut out of the podcast. And this is tricky sometimes when you, when you have an edited podcast is like we had some good stuff, but some of it was repetitive. Some of it was like me reading quotes by Henry David Thoreau or Edward Abbey that didn't land very well. Um, but there was a great segment wherein we were walking silent for a while. I apologized to my wife for being silent. And she's here. No, that's a good thing. And then we remembered the day before when we, when we saw and heard this hawk. And then I remembered that I had recorded that hawk with my phone so that when you hear the hawk, that is from my phone audio notes, my iPhone audio notes from the day before, um, and then, yeah, and so actually that's a little bit of cheating. So we didn't literally segue from the hawk to the old, you know, clothing items in the ditch. Um, I sort of stitched those two together. Basically, they were two spontaneous, two or three or four spontaneous moments that didn't really belong in the body of the, of the interview. They just would have felt a little bit jarring in the body, but they felt like a fun Easter egg for anyone who stuck around through the credits. Um, to have this little meditation on sort of silence and then the absurdity um, I think one reason why I ended up marrying my wife is that she likes my goofy sense of humor. And so when I would joke about every time we would see a belt or a shoe in, in, in the ditch about me putting it on, then it sort of became this ongoing joke. And for the, for the listeners who waited for the Easter egg, that's sort of a treat, you know, one last meditation given our subject matter. Our last segment is about uh, looking ahead on the show. It doesn't involve a clip. 
But anything that is serialized, episodic, really any project that you've been doing for a while, no matter how good it is, no matter how strongly you feel about it, I think time provides a certain friction where stagnation becomes an enemy. You know, you start to check out of the work or your, your audience uh, is, you know, be, it moves from something refreshing to, to like comfort food to something they're sick of if you do it the same way forever. So when you think about your show, what are you thinking about in terms of trying new experiments, reinventions, you know, stuff you admire from others you'd like to borrow from? How do you plan on keeping the show fresh for, for both your audience and also for you? Well, the freshness for me is in-baked because of the premise, you know, that oftentimes I'm able to chase, like when the Kansas City Chiefs made the Super Bowl, I did a, an episode about the, the Super Bowl. Like, I, it wasn't a very listened-to episode, but it's like I've been obsessed with football since I was a little kid. I read this little book about the old NFL championships in the 30s and 40s, and and that was important to me. So I, I invited a football-loving friend, and that's what we talked about. And so the premise of my show gives me permission to deviate a little bit. I did, a, I did an episode about dinosaurs because when I was seven, I, I wrote a book about dinosaurs. So in that episode, I call a paleontologist and sort of ask him how my seven-year-old self did, right? Well, that or the Super Bowl are not travel episodes. They weren't super highly listened to by my audience who sort of prefers me to talk about travel, but it keeps things fresh for me. And so I would like to continue to do that in the future. I, you know, Basically, sports, movie, and um, and music episodes don't do as well for my podcast, but they sort of are an injection of of adrenaline in my own arm. Like I like, um, you know, they say as a creator to kill your darlings. Well, I sort of massage my darlings sometimes and talk about topics that that are interesting to me, and oftentimes they circle back around to travel. Like I said, Jay Younger of White Zombie ended up being a travel conversation. I talked to Ian Mackay of the great band Fugazi, and we ended up talking about travel a fair amount. One thing in the future, I have a new book coming out next year, um, and I'm, I've had the podcast now for almost four years. So as we go into the winter, I, I, I never really started the podcast to sort of optimize my career so much as to scratch some creative itches and, again, do that cross-training, you know, exercise those narrative muscles. But now that the book is coming out, I sort of have a captive audience for some of the themes in, the, in that book. I'm on season four now. Season five will probably tie into the book in a way that uh, is hopefully exciting for my audience. It'll probably be the most straightforward travel season I've ever done. This has been Deviate with Rolf Potts as remixed from the Three Clips podcast. More about everything that was just mentioned, including links to the podcast episodes we discuss, can be found in the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate. And as always, you can contact me with insights or questions at deviate at rolfpotts.com. This episode was produced by Justin Glow. Cedar Van Tassel does the theme music. Thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in for future episodes of Deviate with Rolf Potts. <laughs>